Okay, so I had this thing happen when we were kids, and um, at primary school, our principal decided that we were going to make a little booklet, and it was going to be a thing as a, you know given to out all the parents, and every page was going to have a little like ID profile of students, 30 kids in the class, a little 30-page book, and it was it was just kind of like a uh, I don't know what you call it, an ID of each student. And they asked us all in class various questions like, you know, when were you born, what town were you born in, you know, and what do you want to be when you grow up? And so as you, you'd flick through the little book and there'd be, um, and I, Jason was actually in my class when this happened. I don't know if you remember this, Jason. This is a, a Graham Barnett thing, and uh, he was our teacher. And uh, my memory was that Jason said he wanted to be a jet, a fighter jet pilot or something like that. Was that right? Hey, I've got a memory that's like 35 years old right there. And uh, amazing, really. And um, what I wanted to be was I wanted to be a spy. And uh, I had started a spy club at school. And, um, you know, we wanted to spy on the girls, all the stuff that little boys do. And uh, there was this little girl in another class. We paid her 20 cents to be a double agent. And uh, the... The things that she told us were not interesting at all. <laughs> anyway, that's another life. But the thing is, in the mind of a child, you have this dream of what you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, the girls, they wanted to be hairdressers and things like that. And uh, some of them probably did become hairdressers. Um, I definitely did not become a spy. And um, so, you know, we had that... We, it, that's your perceived identity, you know, that's what you want to be, you think it'd be cool to be that. As you grow up though, it's often the things that you think as, as a child are unrealistic and you get to a point in, um, you, you know, it's different for different people, but in high school I got to the point where I had to wrestle with what was I going to do with my life. Now some people, they just don't think about it at all and it's kind of like, School finishes and all of a sudden the weight of it lands upon them in one go and they panic. Um, you might know people that have been like that, or but other people, they think about it a lot and over years they figure it all out. And uh, for me, it was something that the Lord took right out of my hands. I never had to wrestle with it because the Lord did it really clearly what he wanted. When I was in grade nine, um, we, the church was getting into the prophetic back then, this church, peace, and um, Dad was trying to take the church into renewal, into the things of the Spirit. And we were taking teams down to Brisbane to be a part of these Schools of the Prophet conferences. Some people might remember these, those days. And um, so I went on one of the trips. Philip probably went on some of those trips. And that's where we met, that's where my dad met Chuck Clayton, by the way, was at one of those. And in fact, the very first day that my dad met Chuck Clayton, I was there. I was the little whippersnapper that got brought to lunch at Sizzler's because there was no one else to look after me. So it was Dad and Chuck and me at Sizzler's and they were talking about all these things I didn't understand and I was just at the salad bar and having lots of ice cream cones. So, you know, that was me all those years ago. But, um, you know, we went off to these prophetic conferences and um, so we're, and one of the things that they used to do was a thing called presbytery, same word that where you get Presbyterian church from. But what it meant in the conferences was that every single person was going to get a prophecy. That's what they meant by that. 
I don't know how they get pre the word presbytery means that. Because presbytery, Presbyterian means an elder. So I don't quite get the connection there. But we go out the front for presbytery, big long line of people, and you, they would record every prophetic word with a cassette tape, and then at the end they'd give you your cassette tape with your word on it. I've still got it at home somewhere. And uh, I remember, um, you know, standing in the line, got my prophetic word, and the, the person said, I see a picture of you, you know, in front of house plans, you know, like, uh, like an architect, that type of thing. And she said, I think, I think that the Lord's going to put you into a place where you're going to have something to do with the building of houses. So, hmm, all right, fair enough. So, you know, that was like an insight into something the Lord had for me. And um, a lot of those prophetic words, um, oh, with those types of prophetic words, you have to test them, by the way, because what happens is the people that give those prophetic words, they prophesy over you in the same way that you pray. Um, you know, when you pray, this is just an aside, you often don't really know what you're going to pray, or you may just have an idea of the subject of the prayer, but the words just somehow come out. You know how that happens? And you start, dear Lord, you know, I want to pray for this subject. And then next thing, you've got a whole prayer. It just appears out of nowhere. It's amazing. Now, you'll notice that if you were to go back and analyze your prayer, some of the things that came out were definitely from the Lord. You wouldn't have thought them up to pray. The Lord's put a prayer into your heart. But some of them, you look at that and say, you know, that was just me. It's, it's come out in a me kind of a way. So it's a mixture of the Lord and you. And those prophecies you get in that manner are like that too. It's often the person will, will just say, sometimes they don't even know what they're going to prophesy over you. They just say, the Lord says, and they say that by faith. And then the next thought that comes to mind, they speak it out believing it's the Lord. And you know, sometimes great words come out that way. And sometimes just human thoughts come out that way. So that's why you've got to test it. And uh, so, of course, that's what we always do, we take our words back and we test them. So I had that word when I was in grade 9 that I was going to have something to do with building. But when I was in grade 11, we had a very interesting teacher. I went to Emmaus. I did a subject called Study of Religion, which is not RE. It's an actual study of the world's religions. And we did a semester on, you know, Islam, a semester on Buddhism, a, a semester on Christianity, which was interesting. And the guy that taught the subject was a Catholic brother. Um, so Emmaus used to have, back then, a lot of their teachers had been nuns or brothers. There's less of them around now. But this bloke had been a brother. And he had the most interesting stories of going to seminary and learning to be a brother. He told me this one story, and I'm just going to tell you because it's interesting. It's got nothing to do with the sermon at all. But they used to play jokes on each other in seminary. And one of the things that used to happen was that every morning at 5 a.m., a bell would ring and they had to immediately roll out of bed, land on their knees, and say this certain Catholic prayer. I don't know what the prayer was, but it was like a thing. You did that every morning at 5 a.m. So for a joke, a couple of these brothers went in one morning and got ropes and tied it around the bed of one of their fellow students and hoisted it up into the air. So the next morning at 5, the bell goes, dear brother so-and-so rolls over onto his knees. Anyway, they did get into trouble over that. But very amusing story, see? Sometimes things go on in seminary you would not have thought. They are people after all. But anyway, that particular guy um, was a brother and just he, he had a, a great love for the Lord in a Catholic-y kind of a way. And um, one day he said in class to us, he said, he put, a, put this hypothetical question to us. 
which I can tell now in hindsight it wasn't a hypothetical question in his mind, but he was putting it to us as just students. And he said, what if God could actually speak? Because God can speak. But he, you know, he was assuming we thought that he couldn't. What if God could actually speak? You know, what would he say? He says, I want you all now to be silent for a minute and just imagine what would God say if he could speak? So, you know, we're all imagining there and, and we're supposed to write down the thing we imagined that God would say if he could speak. And then he went around the class and he was saying, now, what do you think God would say if he was talking to you? And various kids were saying things like, oh, I think he would say he loves me. You know, and so that's pretty good, really, for your average student in class in grade 11. But the weird thing was when I went to listen, I heard the word so clearly, feed my sheep which comes from that story in John 21 or wherever where Peter had denied the Lord three times and Jesus had asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter had said yes three times and then Jesus had said three times to him, feed my sheep. So it comes from that story. And so I'd heard that and thought, huh, didn't get a sense of the full meaning of what that meant. Now I realise the Lord was calling me to be a pastor, to feed his sheep. And, um, but at the time, going in the class and... And, you know, Mr. Hanley um, asked, you know, what did the Lord, wh what did you think the Lord said? And I said, I, I think he said, feed my sheep. And the look on his face was like he wasn't expecting that. And uh, it was because the Lord actually spoke. So the Lord, you know, that struggle that people have figuring out what their identity is or what they're going to do with their life, the Lord took it out of my hands. I just had a series of experiences. And so what happened was when I finished school, I, you know, I knew that I'd been called to be a pastor, but I didn't know what was going to happen or how that was going to take place. But straight away I was offered a job in no time at all by Scott Kilpatrick, a local builder here in town. He just said, I want you to come and work for me. I'm going to make you a draftsman. Well, what did I say to that? Well, I knew the Lord was in it because of that word in grade nine about the fact that they were, I'd been seen with building plans in front of me. So I went to work learning all about houses and construction and building and I drove utes all over central Queensland doing things as part of the building industry. And um, I ended up working for Scott for seven years, but it was two years into that that I had a call to, from the Lord one morning to be a pastor at Mount Morgan. And I realize now in hindsight that there's something important or at least in my case, and I think in many people's cases, it's, Im it's important to not just finish school and go straight to being a pastor. There's something wonderful about having some life experiences. And there's no better life experiences, I think, than you can have than in the building industry. And there were some rough and tough contractors there that did all sorts of interesting things. Um, one day, um, this guy phones up. Uh, well, we had a job, you know, where it was a very difficult place to get the concrete truck into. And Scott hated paying for concrete pumps. See, now I'm telling you another story. And um, so um, the concreter is demanding a concrete pump, and Scott says, I'm not paying for a concrete pump because extra thousands of dollars added onto the cost of the house. So the concreter says, well, I want David Alley on a wheelbarrow. So I'm just like the office guy, but because I'm the new office guy, all the tradesmen want to test me out to see if I'm a man. See, so this is the building industry. So, all right, Scott says, fair enough. So I had to go to be a concreter for the day and I did all sorts of things. So I go to this building site and I'm supposed to wheelbarrow concrete because I'm the concrete pump. 
And um, Greg, sorry, just said the name of the concreter, leans over to um, the cement truck driver and says, fill the wheelbarrow right up, like this. And so he fills it up, piles up like this. Has, have anyone ever tried to wheel a wheelbarrow? You have, yes, yes. And in a concrete, on a, on a building site, this is like steel on these little plastic hats, so it's not even. I went, wouldn't have gone no more than two or three metres and over she goes. And the concrete's in the wrong place. Well, you can't scoop it up, it's there. And so Greg leans over to the concrete truck driver and says, half full. <laughs> but the thing was, I'm not strong enough to do that stuff. The thing was, it wasn't so much a test to my physical strength, because they could see I wasn't physically as strong as those guys, but it was more just a test of what was I going, what was my attitude and my character going to be? Well, I just was cheerful. You know, I was happy to be out there doing that instead of sitting at a desk answering phones. It's more fun. So it didn't take long. They all liked me in the building industry. They even stopped swearing around me after a while. So all of that was good, and then the Lord called me into ministry two years later. And so the Lord took this question right out of my hands of what was my identity. But you know what, for a lot of people, and maybe even a lot of people here, um, people struggle to figure that question out, the question of your identity. And uh, I know there's a lot of anxious moments for, for people going through high school and then even in university, sometimes people start degrees in college or go to TAFE or take on apprenticeships or, or all sorts of things. They don't really know what they're supposed to do with their life, so they just go with what they feel. They don't have a sense of it. And uh, sometimes people choose things for themselves that are not what the Lord wants um, because they've not properly put the question to the Lord of what do you want. And I just wanted to say this morning um, that the question really is not what do I want to do with my life? You know, back when we were in primary school, like when Jason and I had to answer that question, we were really answering the question of, more from a perspective of what do I want to do, what seems like a fun thing in life. That's the wrong approach to, the, to settling this type of a matter. The right approach is really what does the Lord want me to do with my life? Now for some of you, you you've got that question settled a long time ago, but it doesn't mean it's not still a living question. Just because you may have started a career or you may have started a business and you may have been in it a long time, it doesn't mean that the question doesn't still remain the right question. And um, so the question is, you know, is not who am I, but who does the Lord say I am? That's the question. And so you need to ask the Lord, who do you say I am? Jesus asked his disciples the question, who do you say I am? So we're supposed to figure out who the Lord is, but then we're supposed to ask the Lord to tell us who we are. And that's something that every believer must do, um, no matter how old you are. Now in Jeremiah, um, the book of Jeremiah, which is the biggest book in the Bible, by the way, it's not the book with the most amount of chapters, but it's the book with the most amount of words. So the book of Jeremiah in chapter 1, we've got a young man here who wrestled with this exact same thing. And we're going to read the first eight verses and also verse 17. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, king of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, 
down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Verse 17, it says, get yourself ready, stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. A <laughs> little bit of a you know, warning at the end. But the, the big lesson here is here's this guy. He's born into a priestly family, um, but he's born in a land, you know, the land of, of Judah. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And the Lord's telling him, this is what I've called you to do. Before you were even born, I knew who you were. And this is the, this is the purpose of your life. And he's saying, I can't do that. And God says, don't say that. Don't say you can't do that. I know you. You can do that. And you're going to do that. <laughs> and so Jeremiah ended up doing that. He ended up doing what the Lord called him to do. We live in a society, in a culture, where we don't want to do what the Lord tells us to do. And our society is also full of people who say, I can't do that. You know, I have anxiety, or I don't like that, or that's just not me, as well as all the I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too everything else. But no, the Lord has called us, and the question is, Lord, who do you say I am? What do you want me to do? And then the Lord tells us, and we do it. So we do, we do have a choice, but our choice isn't what we're called to. Our choice is whether we do it or not. But it's not really the type of choice that you think. Because as my dad was saying a few months ago, the choice isn't an option. It's more just like a choice of obedience or disobedience. That's more the choice. And um, in my mind, it's no choice at all. And sometimes when the Lord calls us to do things, they don't look like the type of thing we want to do. There are not too many people in the Bible who wanted to do the thing the Lord called them to do, at least at the beginning. But they find joy in what the Lord calls them to do when they proceed to do it. So often it's because our own desires conflict with what the Lord is wanting, but we need to lay down our own desires or our own opinions and when the Lord gets a hold of our heart, we find that we're happy. There's a very famous uh, passage in the Bible, or verse in the Bible, it's Psalm 37 verse 4. It says um, something like, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You can go to just about any Christian bookstore in the world and it'll be on a bookmark. And everyone has on stickers and you know, pass it on cards. And it's one of those promises everyone clings to because they think, all I've got to do is go to church and God will give me what I want. No. When you delight yourself in the Lord, you're taking what is important to the Lord and making it important to you. 
And when you do that, you change. And you change and you love different things, and then the Lord blesses you. So it's not what you first thought. First you thought, just be a Christian, and then God will give you all the things you just want. No. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll change you. And then he'll bless you with the things he wants you to have, and you will find joy in those things. It's actually a wonderful, wonderful promise, and far more alive when you really understand it. The Lord wants to change you and bring you into his plans, and if he really knows who you are, he knows what ultimately will bless you. You know, when you try to find joy and happiness and all these things outside of Christ, it's like chasing a rainbow. If anyone's ever tried to chase a rainbow, has anyone ever tried that? Tried to drive to where a rainbow is? I know you can't do it, but I did try it one day just because, just to do it. So you sit there and you look and you see the rainbow and you figure out the end of it is coming down in, you know, around about where, you know, Amart All Sports is or something, around about over there. So you drive there and now the end of it is coming down somewhere else. Well, that's the nature of trying to find happiness without Christ or trying to find your own identity outside of Christ, trying to find who you think you should be according to your own desires and your own will and your own purpose. A whole society says to you, this is, you know, outside of the Bible, society tells you, you can be whatever you want. CQ Uni advertises on that on billboards all over the place. But it's not just them, it's everything. I saw a comic once, and it was a little baby born, and the doctor held it up and said, it's a boy. And a little verse, a little comment on the side says, no, it isn't, it hasn't decided yet. So that's society for you. It tells you, you can be whatever you want, even your gender. So that's how crazy society is. But no, what does the Lord say you are? What's the Lord called you to be? Surrender to the Lord and you'll find that you're at the end of the rainbow. The end, you're in the place where the Lord's blessing and grace is upon your life. So there's a verse, a series of verses. It's in Acts chapter 17. And, um, and yeah, you're no different to Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. Now you may not be called to do what Jeremiah did. That part's different. But the other part's the same. Before you were born, he knew you. And he's called you to be what he's called you to be. That part's the same. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens. And he's actually preaching a sermon to the most important people in the city. You know, the, the political leaders and the thinkers and the philosophers. They're all gathered and he was preaching to them. And he said this little piece that I've snipped right out of his sermon, and I, I think about this a lot. And he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by man. I think I've got a different version to you. Might read that one. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though 
He is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own, some of your own prophet, prof, poets have said, we are his offspring. The whole sermon's really interesting. But Paul, what Paul is saying to them there is that God decided, he basically decided when you would live, when you would be born, where you would be born, what family you would be born into, you know, decide who your parents would be. The Lord decided what your language would be, your culture would be. And verse 24 is the classic, uh, verse 26 is the classic verse, um, where is it? It says he determined the times and periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. The Lord decides all these things for people. And the Lord has decided a great deal, many things about your life. He doesn't decide everything about your life. You have choices too. But your choices are supposed to align with his choices and bring you into great joy. You're supposed to find out what the Lord intends by placing you when and where he has so that you might follow him and serve him. And so this should give you a lot of compassion for others because other people find themselves in difficult positions and you realise that they're not there by their own choices. You can be compassionate to them and pray for them. But at the same time, you should be mindful and say, well, Lord, why did you put me where I am? What was your reason for doing that? I'm grateful I didn't live thousands of years ago at the time of, you know, say the Egyptian slavery and all that. I'm glad I wasn't Israelite, thank God. But I'm sure other people in the future will look back on us and say, I'm glad I didn't live through the COVID pandemic and I'm glad I didn't live in the world in the 21st century because it's probably going to be, it's going to sound terrible in the future, you know. Pandemic swept the globe, you know, Russia attacked the Ukraine. It's going to sound so horrible to them. Life's actually pretty good for us, but I'm sure people will be glad they weren't us. It doesn't matter. Don't compare to others. Just say to the Lord, why did you place me here? Who am I and what do you want me to do? And this question is important in more than one way. It's not only important for you as a person, it's important for us as a whole church. Isn't it funny that the Lord's put us all here together? Why? Why are we all here together as a church? What's the Lord's plan in that? But we, we do know that, don't we? We think. The Lord's given us an apostolic purpose. Well, we've been called to take an apostolic message to the nations. The Lord decided that, not us. It wasn't because we were so special that, you know, God must have given us that job because we were good people. For some reason, the Lord put us here. The Lord's given us a task. It would be really foolish of us to think it's a nothing and to just go on in life day by day or week by week not taking that seriously or properly. So the question isn't only for you as individual people to say, who am I and what do you want me to do? The question is also, who are we? Why are we here together? What are we supposed to do together? So you're here, not because you chose to be here. You might think you did, <laughs> but the Lord's put you here. And you're here 
because the Lord has a purpose for us. It's not to say that our purpose here is more important than the purpose of any other congregation, but it's the Lord's purpose for us. We have to do what the Lord asks us to do, not what he's asked someone else to do. And someone else can't do what we've been asked to do because we've been asked to do that. We can run away, but we're not supposed to do that. Over the years, there's been a few families that have left the church, and when they left, you know, we gave them a good farewell and we prayed prayers of blessing for them, but I knew they were not supposed to go. I knew that somehow they were missing the grace of God. If you've been in the church a while, you, you'll, be able, you'll think of a few families like that and you'll know you, you'll probably be right. Because the Lord called them to be a part of us, that was what they were supposed to do. Um, but they've gone off to do something else. And, you know, may the Lord be gracious to them and bless them where they are. Um, but the Lord has a plan and a purpose and we're supposed to know what it is and cooperate with us. Over the years, there's also been a few families that have joined our church that weren't supposed to join. I'm thinking of one like that. <laughs> and it just wasn't right for them to be here. And after a few years, they left and went back to where they were and that's where they were supposed to be. And, you know, it was a good thing they figured it out. And um, we are all his sheep and we're supposed to be where, in whichever pen we're supposed to be in for his great purposes. We're not all called to do the same thing. Some are called to lead from up front. Some are called to serve in other ways. You know, I think of the church in Philippi. I think it's an interesting little church in the New Testament. It only had at the time of the Bible about 20 or 30 people. It was not a big church. In that church they had slaves and they had what they call freedmen and then they had some Roman citizens as well. I'm pretty sure from my memory that there was a, a man in that, that church in Philippi who was called Clement and I'm pretty sure he was an ex-Roman soldier. Um, Roman soldiers in the Roman Empire would serve for 20 years and then they would be granted Roman citizenship and be given a piece of land. A lot of Roman soldiers were given land in the area of Philippi. It was a Roman, Philippi was a Roman colony. So other cities in the Bible were, a Greek colony, were very Greek. Like a lot of the cities in Jerusalem, north of Jerusalem, there were 10 cities that were very Greek. Um, but there were cities every now and then that were very Roman. Philippi was Roman and a lot of Roman soldiers would retire there after their 20 years, be given land. And I'm pretty sure from memory that Clement was one of these guys. He's a member of that church in Philippi. So in that church at Philippi, you had people who were free. They were Roman citizens. They had privileges in society. Then you had people who were what were called freedmen, which is another whole category that we don't have today. They're not slaves, but they're not really free either. They're kind of ex-slaves, but they still don't have the rights of like actual citizens. And then there were slaves. There were all these different people. And there were, of course, women in the church. There were a few wealthy women in the church, business people. Now, you, the Lord put all those people there in that church, just like what we're saying here today. And some of the people that were in that church, like I said, were slaves. Now, how does a slave... It'd be hard to imagine yourself as a slave saying, the Lord's put me here. Can you imagine yourself in that kind of a mind, trying to take on that, the weight of that? But those slaves would get up at something like 3.30 on a Sunday morning to go to church. They, their life was not their own 
as far as the earth is concerned. So they had to start work at sunrise every day, or sometimes their employer, their boss, might have been a little bit kinder and let them start a little later. So the only time they could get to church was before the sun comes up. So church would often be in many towns early on the Sunday morning. Can anyone here imagine going to church at 4 a.m.? Who would like to come to church at 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning? Well, you do what you've got to do. And those slaves, they looked at this and they said, the Lord has called me. I am the Lord's. And that's what I'm going to do to serve him. Now, do you think those slaves were tired? Do you think they were tired from working from sunrise to sundown seven days a week? No such thing as a day off if you're a slave. The Old Testament, the Old Testament law, by the way, another distraction, I keep being distracted, is so incredibly progressive. We look back on it and think God's laws were not progressive. They were so unbelievably progressive you cannot imagine it. They gave regular people land, a promised land, where everyone got land. Do you know how unusual that was? It wasn't until just one or two hundred years ago, the French Revolution and things, where people were saying, we want our own land. God was giving people land. Do you know that slaves, now no Israelite was allowed to be a slave, but there were some slaves in society, they got a day off. Nowhere at any time in any point of history did a slave ever get a day off, but the Lord made sure slaves had a day of rest. The Lord was so incredibly progressive. And of course, the Lord was working to eradicate slavery completely. But at least in the beginning, he gave them a day off. But slaves in the Roman Empire, no day off. So a slave would say to himself, a Christian slave, I'm called to follow Christ. So he would get up at an unearthly hour on a Sunday morning and go to church. And he would do that so that he could learn the word of the Lord. He couldn't read or write, but the word of God would be read to him in church and he would listen. And he would learn what it means, and then he would learn to be a prayerful person. He would learn to control his feelings. That slave would learn to love his boss, the boss that, that did not treat him properly, would, love to, would learn to serve that employer as though he was serving the Lord. And that slave would see that as his Christian service. And you know what? There were people who became Christians because of the way the slaves lived. There were, there were bosses and masters who became Christians because of the example of their slaves. Now, what could be a greater act of Christian service than that as a slave? Well, see, it doesn't matter. Not everyone's going to be called to be a pastor or be like Jeremiah. But in whatever position you are in life, the question you have to answer is, what is the Lord, who is the Lord saying I am and what is the Lord asking me to do? You may have a menial job. You know, that's the closest thing we've got to slavery, where you've got no flexibility at all in your work. You know? There are, there are people in that category. Well, your life's not as bad as those ancient slaves, but it's as bad as it can get today for Australia. Well, what's the Lord saying to you? You may be earning the minimum wage, and the price of fuel just doubled. Interest rates just went up three times in three months. And, you know, electricity is shooting through the roof. And how are you going to afford your living? And, you know, you've got lots of concerns in life. But, you know, your question in life is, Lord, what, who am I? What am I supposed to do for you? That's your question in life. 
The Lord knows about those other things. Jesus actually said this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. That's a question for you as a person. But as a people, we've got the question together. Lord, how are we going to take this apostolic message to the nations? And I just have to say that if you're a part of this congregation and either here in person today or on, online or watching YouTube later in the week, we've got people that love us and they're a part of us and they don't even live in Rockhampton and thank God for all of them. So you're a part of peace too. And um, I have to say to, to everyone that's a part of peace that we've been called to do something for the Lord and it's coming to church once a week isn't isn't it we've got to really take a hold of the way the Lord wants us to live and live live the way the Lord wants us to live and it involves the way we it does involve the way we give although we generally give pretty good around here but you know there'll be people that have to sort that question out it involves the way we pray there are a lot of people that don't pray all that much although we do have a lot that do pray Thank God for that. We pray more than the average church. But there are plenty of people that are not involved in prayer. But what does it mean for the Lord to have placed you in this church? What does it mean to be a part of this? What is the meaning of your life after all? Is the meaning of your life just to go to work every week, to make some money, to see your super balance grow so that you can retire, so you can drive around Australia and check out the sites? and cuddle your grandkids and get old and die, is that what your life is all about? Well, you know, those are some of the things we do in life and there's joys in those things. But no, the Lord has a reason for our lives. There's a purpose to it and we need to know what it is. You need to know what it is. And we need to agree together we're doing what the Lord has called us to do. So it's not a legalistic thing, even though I'm trying to make it sound fairly unmovable. I'm trying to sound, make it sound unmovable because in the Lord's mind, he decides these things. So you know when the Lord called Moses, and I'll, I'll start wrapping this up here now. When the Lord called Moses, he was unmovable in the Lord's mind. He said, I'm sending you to set my people free. Now in that moment, what could Moses have done? He could literally have turned around and walked back into the desert. He could have done that. So that's what I'm saying. It's unmovable in one sense. You do have a choice in another sense. Um, but it's not like a, oh, I'd rather do this if that's okay. It's not that type of a choice. It's more the choice of, you know what, I want to live my life. I'd rather live my life than the life you want me to live. It's more like that type of a choice which in my mind is no choice at all. Um, there are people who do that, um, but we miss out on the mind and the will of the Lord, and sometimes we risk missing out on salvation too. When we step out of the Lord's path, sometimes we don't know where that's gonna go. So, I'm saying that we need to be involved in what the Lord's called us to be. We need to know what it is. We need to see authentic Christianity working in us. Authentic Christianity needs to be at work in you. We need to see the churches of Rockhampton realise we're one church. We need to see 
authentic Christianity working in the body of Christ in our city. We need to see the gospel of Christ change our city. We need to see this, the culture of our city change. We need to see our lives impact the nations. We need to see the apostolic message spread and touch church, other churches and other towns. You need to see your children grow up with the values that the Lord wants them to have. You need to see them come to know and love the Lord and serve him more than you and better than you. These are all things that we want to see and I realise that we can't do any of that in our own strength. We can only do that in the strength of the Lord, so we need him. Without him, we cannot love one another. We cannot become one in heart. Without him, we cannot change our city. We cannot see people get saved. We cannot change others. The word of God won't live in anyone's heart if it's up to us. We can't even change ourselves. If you've ever tried to change your husband or your wife, you know that we can't do anything at all unless God is in it. So we need to lean on him for everything. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to have some prayer. We're going to, on one hand, say to the Lord in our prayer right now, Lord, what do you want us to do? We know the big picture. We know what the big picture is for the church. For you as a person, you know, what does the Lord want you to do? It's a real living question. On the other hand, Lord, help, help me. I need your help. I can't do anything without you. Once you know what the Lord's calling you to, you need to now ask him to help you do it because without grace, it's just human effort and leads nowhere. So I'm going to invite the band to come and um, we might... Um, sing something worshipful in just a minute but I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes and we're going to pray a prayer first a prayer of surrender that's our first prayer this morning I'm going to pray for you as I pray I ask you to join your heart with mine in, in this prayer of surrender in which we give ourselves to the Lord afresh we say Lord you know I am the clay and you are the potter yeah I am the clay and you are the potter. You know, the Lord shapes the clay the way he wants to shape it because he's got something in mind. Don't you try to shape your clay the way you want to shape it. It's not going to work. You're going to end up with something that the Lord didn't have in mind and is not going to serve the purpose that the Lord planned. So that's our first prayer. And let's, as I pray, you join with me in your heart in agreement. Lord, we, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge, Lord, that so often we want to go off to do what we want to do. We do it on a daily basis, but we do it with the big questions too, with the whole direction of our lives. Lord, we want to pursue our own agendas. Lord, we're sorry. There's really no excuse for it and we don't make one. We ask you to forgive us. But Lord, we surrender our lives to you this morning, each individual life this morning, wherever anyone agrees with me, Lord, we surrender our lives to you. Lord, I pray that your voice would speak. Speak in the stillness, speak in dreams at night, speak in the Bible as it's being read, speak through conversations with people, speak through sermons like this one, Speak, Lord, in many ways. You know how to speak. I ask you to speak to people so that they hear. 
Lord, that your purpose for our lives becomes clear. And Lord, the same thing for the church. Many years ago, we prayed this prayer in church and we said, Lord, you could do anything with us you want and we won't pull away. I know it's a dangerous prayer to pray, but we surrender the church to you as well. Lord, let your will be done. Lord, the church is the clay and you are the potter. Shape us how you want us to be. So Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. And I thank you even more that there's a future in you, there's a hope in you. And Lord, we've done a crummy job with this apostolic message. We've tried our best. Good things have happened. And I thank you that it's all because of you. Every good thing that's happened has been because of you. Thank you for it. Now, Lord, we come to that same place again, recognising we need more of you, more of your goodness. And this is our second prayer now, so believe with me as we pray. Lord, we need your grace to go forward. We cannot do anything without you. And so, Father, just like you called Jeremiah and you said, don't say you can't do that, you can. We acknowledge, Lord, that with your help, we can. We can do what you've called us to do. But, Lord, we realise we, we can't as well if you're not with us. We need you to be with us. So, Heavenly Father, help us to be a people together. And, Lord, this morning, I would, as a leader here, I would forgive and extend grace to all of those people over the years that have left that weren't supposed to leave. We forgive them, and, Lord, we ask you to bless them. But, Lord, with those that you have given to us and anyone else that will come in the future, Lord, may we find that we have your grace to serve you together. May our love for each other increase and grow. May our faith increase and grow. May our trust in you increase and grow. Lord, I thank you for Jason's communion message and may we be like those two men that went into the promised land that looked at the giants and said, with God's help, we can do this. Lord, that's us. We're those two men. We can't do it without you, but Lord, with you, we can. So I ask for your grace this morning. And now, Lord, as a pastor, as one of the pastors here, I'd ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would now move through the midst of this congregation and move through the YouTube video too, today and in the future, and touch every member of this congregation. And Lord, speak into their heart right now. And I pray that there'd be a strengthening of resolve to serve you. And Lord, give us grace to put you first. Lord, give us a little bit of the grace that was on those ancient slaves that did all they could do with the little they had to put you first. And I pray that we would find that we're able to do that in our own lives too. So Father, I pray in these days ahead that every heart would remain soft, that our prayers would be living, that your mercy would be extended. You'd lift us up. Heavenly Father, let your voice become more and more real. Let things become clearer. Let the covering of Christ be over us all. In Jesus' name, amen.